in the back. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess up today. Um, uh, my f- friend, Pastor Tim Hatch from the Boston, Boston, Boston area, uh, was speaking for me earlier this year and uh, did a great job. I got more comments from his message than all the <laughs> guests that we had uh, put together. They all did a great job, but people seem to really connect with Tim. So I asked him about speaking tonight. Obviously, we can't travel around because of this moronic shutdown, but he sent it to us on video. We had problems getting the video, and we'll see if we have it. Are we good to go? We are? Then let it roll. Let's listen I'm to Pastor I'm in the Tim. wilderness of Western Massachusetts. I'm not sheltering in place today. <laughs> we are in the midst of a wilderness experience as a world. What's the wilderness? It's where you're not in your comfort zone. It's where you're out of everything that's familiar to you. You're away from all that you know. God doesn't bring us back. He brings us forward. And he's bringing us through this wilderness experience to do something in us that's going to make us ready for post-wilderness living. And if you think about it, the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness getting ready for the promised land. They weren't supposed to be there 40 years. Actually, they were supposed to be there for two years. And because of their doubt and fear, because they didn't receive the lessons of the wilderness. They got stuck there and many of them, most of them died there. God doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want you dying in this place. He wants you growing. He wants you developing. He wants you listening. We're going to look at wilderness wandering. What's the point of it? What does God have for us in it? And how we can benefit from it so that we are ready, we are prepared for what God has prepared for us. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere with just me and a camera. There's no crew, no one from the church staff, just me. Got my phone, (laughs) but that's it. And just walking out here in, in this quiet, way off in the distance, somebody's cutting wood, but way off. And I just hear nothing, nothing that I normally hear. I just thought about the fact that the wilderness is God's training ground, right? It's, it's where we learn. It's where we grow. Some of God's best men were trained in the wilderness. Moses had to live in the wilderness before he led the people through the wilderness. He shepherded Jethro's flocks for 40 years before he spent the next 40 years shepherding God's flocks. And then I thought about David in the wilderness running from Saul. Uh, After him, Elijah spends a long time in the wilderness as he runs from Jezebel and kind of gets back on track with God's call in his life. At the uh, point of the wilderness for Elijah, actually, he's at the end of his rope. He wants to die. And after the wilderness, he's actually sort of reinvigorated and has a lot of ministry after his wilderness wandering. And then I thought about Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle gets saved dramatically on the road to Damascus, but but then he's out in the middle of the Arabian desert for years getting 
trained, listening to God, getting away from everything that he knew. And that's what the wilderness is supposed to do. It's supposed to get us away from everything that we know so that we can get to know God. The point of the wilderness is to learn. So I thought about Exodus 19 and how Israel is three months now into the wilderness and they're at Mount Sinai and God is speaking to his people. And he's basically telling them, look, this is the point. I brought you to myself on eagle's wings. I want you to know me. I want to be known by you. And you have to remember that they cried out to get out of Egypt. They cried out. Exodus 2, 23 says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. They asked God to get out of Egypt and God did it. And then three months later, they're at Mount Sinai, but between the departure from Egypt and Mount Sinai, there's a three month period where they are struggling and they're in doubt and they're in fear and they are hungry and they are thirsty. And God has to teach them some lessons about trusting him, about listening to him. That's what he's doing right now in your life. I wonder who's listening to me right now and you were praying for God to do something new in your life and change you or develop you. And now here you are in the wilderness of life, the wilderness of coronavirus. Maybe this is the answer to your prayers. You know, the Israelites didn't expect to struggle as much as they did after coming out of Egypt. I'm sure they had imagined that if we just get out of Egypt, we're gonna be fine, everything's gonna be great. But just getting out of Egypt was only the beginning. There were some things that God wanted to do in them through the wilderness period. He wanted them to trust him, to listen to him. It's his training ground. Just wanna stop right here and just listen for a second to the quiet. There's something about being out here in the middle of nowhere with no one else around you. There's a sacredness to it. There's a holiness to this moment. And sometimes when we are alone, we get to know two people. We get to know ourselves, we get to know God. Not that God's a person, but we get to know the person of God. Who are you when you're alone? It's an important question. So when they get to Sinai, where God's about to give them the law, it says in verse one, on the third new moon, that's like three months, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. In the Sinai, they're gonna spend 10 months and they're gonna hear from God. They're gonna hear 
the Ten Commandments. They're going to hear the stipulations of those commandments, the ramifications of those commandments, how they live them out. And then in the next verse, he says, it says this, they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And then it says, the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Okay, before we get to the end of that passage, I just want you to notice how many times it says that God called out, God spoke, God said, God told Moses to say, speak to my people, speak to my people, speak to my people. So here's point one of the purpose of the wilderness. In the wilderness, God's voice calls out to us. In the wilderness, God's voice calls out to us. He wants to say something to you right now that you probably would not hear if this didn't happen. Sometimes I think we want God to save us, but we don't want God to speak to us. We want, we want God to take us out of the junk that we hate, but, but then we don't want him to really tell us what to do. You know, we want, God save me, get me out of this addiction. God, get, get me out of this problem that I'm in. Get me, I, I really hate this. Like the Israelites hated Egypt. I really hate what this is doing to my life. I hate how it robs me of what I could be or what I want to be. And then God does that. You, you, you get saved, possibly. Hopefully you're saved. If not, you should be. <laughs> but then once you're saved, it's not over. Like that's just the beginning. God wants to say something more to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to talk to you about what it means to be free. People want to be free, but they don't want the responsibility of being free. So we want God to save us, but we often don't want God to speak to us. You can't have it both ways. He saves you to make you what he wants you to be. He saves you and then he sanctifies you. And sanctification, that's a fancy theological term, uh, which means to make holy. And what that means to be made holy is to be set apart for God's purposes. That's what it means. In the temple, there were sacred vessels, holy vessels. There were holy garments. There were holy men. And the term literally means to be set apart, to be holy to God. In fact, God alone, the scripture says, is holy. So he saves you and then he speaks to you. He wants to talk to you. And the silence of the wilderness is where we hear him. Out of our comfort zone, out of our job. Maybe this is extremely hard for you because you're out of your job. Man, my heart goes out to you. But God is speaking. And maybe he's going to say things to you that you never would have heard before. You never would have heard if your job didn't stop for a season. You know, I think about how much the wilderness can annoy us. <laughs> it, it's it's going to drive Israel crazy. C.S. Lewis has this great book, The Problem of Pain. He talks about how pain is a teacher. And a famous quote from that book goes like this. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us, in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our consciences 
but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to a deaf world. See, here's the wilderness, right? The wilderness makes us deaf to everything else so that we can hear God. Verse four of Exodus 19 again. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Like the point of the deliverance, the 10 plagues, the whole thing, the blood of the lamb, killing the firstborns of the Egyptians. The point of it was not just to get them into the promised land, but to get them to be with God. That's what life is. Life is supposed to be with God. And the Egyptians kept them from that. And they're a symbol for us in the New Testament. Sin keeps us from God. Sin is our spiritual Egypt. It enslaves us, it stops us, it, 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 it impedes us from fulfilling our destiny. And God has to break the, the back of sin's power over us. He does this through Jesus Christ. He breaks the power of sin over us so that we are freed from sin, but not just freed from sin, but then set apart for God's purposes. Set apart to him. See, the thing I want you to write down is the wilderness tears us away from what is familiar so that we can become familiar with the voice of God. The wilderness tears us away from what is familiar so that we can become familiar with the voice of God. But you, you've got to do that. You've got to listen. You, you've got to open your ear. You've got to say, God, speak to me. Let me listen to you and hear your voice. Now, God. Because I don't want you to waste this. I, I don't want this season to be wasted in your life. How did Israel waste their wilderness, wilderness wanderers? They complained. They moaned. Man, I'm, I'm doing that. I'll be honest. They, they got critical of Moses. They wanted to kill Moses at one point. Who do you want to kill? <laughs> Hopefully they don't live with you. Don't kill them. But if we don't listen to God during this time, we'll waste it. We'll waste it. So that brings me to point number two. And point number two is this. In the wilderness, God's transforming work begins in us. So think about point number one and point number two together. In the wilderness, God's voice calls out to us. He, he calls out to us, but we've got to listen. We've got to respond. And then God's transformative work begins in us in the wilderness. If we will listen to his voice, we will be transformed. That's the promise. You're going to waste this time. You're going to waste the coronavirus crisis if all you do is tell him everything that's bothering you and how much you hate it and, and how much you want it to end. You'll waste it. But if you listen to him, get in his word. When we hear God, we are changed. Get it? Ignore him stay the same. Listen to him changed. So 
back to what I said earlier. How many of you were praying for God to do something different in you, change you, make you new, take something out of you, fix something wrong with you? And, and here you are in the wilderness and God's like, okay, let's get to work. I want to speak, but you got to listen. I want to speak, but you got to listen. So he says in verse five, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, underline the word obey in your Bible because it's not about just hearing what God says, it's about doing what he says. So this is a great time to check your obedience level. And then the next phrase, keep the covenant, keep my covenant. Now that's an interesting phrase in Exodus 19, because here's the deal about the covenant of God. Which one is he talking about? There's many covenants in the Old Testament. Well, in the book of Exodus, there's only one covenant that God keeps bringing up up until Exodus 19, and that is the covenantal promise that God made with Abraham. And that covenant was a promise that God made to Abraham to bless and multiply his descendants. So that's why Exodus 2.24, it says this, and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And then Exodus 6.5, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves and I have remembered my covenant. This is how it works. This is how it works. God starts something with us. He started something with Abraham and he made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm gonna make your name great. That blessing, that promise came true to this day. There are no Hittites in the world today. There are no Philistines in the world today. You know what there are? They're still Jews. They're still children of Abraham. God's promise, still true. And so when it comes to the covenant, when he says to them, keep my covenant, he's saying to Israel, I want you to remember what I've said. I want you to remember that I'm the God of promises. I keep my promises. I stick to my word. I will be faithful to what I said. So when you read your Bible, if God says something, you can take him at his word. If God says, I'm gonna bless you if you do this, like for instance, tithing is a big one for a lot of people. Like he says in the word, if you do this, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour out a blessing on you. And it's a test, will you, will you remember my promises? Sexual purity. God gives us a host of evidence in the Old Testament of people who did not maintain sexual purity, such as Solomon, David, um, name them, they're out there, right? And their lives were wrecked. And God makes a promise to us in the New Testament. Sexual purity will prepare your life for a blessed future. Or not lying and working hard. God will give you things to share with your neighbor. That's in Ephesians. All over the Bible, there are, promise after, there are promises after promises after promises where God is saying, remember this. So in your wilderness wandering right now, 
You have every right to say, God, I believe that you are taking responsibility for me. I believe that you are going to produce something good in me because you're doing this, not me. You called me. You reached out to me. And, and sometimes we're so guilty of thinking we saved. We got saved. We got ourselves saved. Somebody, somebody brought the message of Jesus to you, right? Somebody, somebody spoke in such a way that your heart, which had formerly been closed to God, was suddenly open to God. Who did that? You? No. God's word did that. His word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts deep. It exposes us. It gets inside of us and it changes us. So I just think about this. In the New Testament, we have a better covenant. We have the covenant of Jesus' blood. So here's what it says in Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's the promise there? The God who saved us through the blood of Jesus is also going to equip us with everything we need to do his will and work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So, your patience getting tested, your fears getting tested, your anxiety level getting tested, guess what? God is working in you to equip you to do what is pleasing in his sight. I just love that verse. I love that verse. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is a promise that God is going to equip you and change you to do what is pleasing to him. But I just thought about the fact that some people, they, they don't get it because they want God to save them, but they don't want God to transform them. So some people want God to save them, but not speak to them. And then some people want God to save them, but then not transform them. So let me get out of this situation, God, by your grace, but then let me take it from here. And that's not, that's not how it works. So I thought, what, what do you want to get out of? What do you want to get out of? Yeah, I, I want to get out of this waiting game. But maybe God wants to get impatience out of me. Or maybe you say, I want to get out of financial hardship, but maybe God wants to get bad financial stewardship out of you. Or maybe you want to get out of a draining relationship, but God wants to get out of you that incessant need for someone else to show you attention so that you feel like you matter. God wants to take things out of us. We want God to take us out of things, salvation, but God wants to take things out of us. That's Israel for us here in this passage. He drew them to himself so that he could take out of them what was not pleasing to him because he knows how we should live. He created us. The creator knows the creation better than anybody. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what's gonna work for you in life. He knows what's not gonna work for you. It's like any device that you buy, this camera, 
This camera has a manual. If I don't operate it according to the specifications of the creator, the camera doesn't work properly. The camera gets hurt, doesn't do its job. I don't get to film. But if I follow the instructions, if I listen to the manufacturer, I'm going to succeed with the camera. So I thought about what has been your go-to indulgence during this crisis? What has been the thing that you keep going to? Maybe it's online shopping because you just, you, know, you just need to buy stuff or maybe it's pornography because you just think, okay, this is an outlet for me or maybe it's online gambling or maybe it's you know, online debates on Facebook. Maybe you're just like arguing with people right now because that is an outlet for you or maybe it's news and just absorbing, absorbing news, news, news because that's an outlet for you or you just can't get enough of it. And here's something that God does. And you may not have ever realized this, but he does it in the scriptures repeatedly. To get people to stop loving idols in their lives, he gives them a boatload of idol. <laughs> to get them to stop loving the things that destroy them, he just gives them a bunch of it. And that's why God won't stop you sometimes when you're addicted to something. He won't stop you until you hit rock bottom so that you can see, you can see how, how empty it actually is. And so maybe right now during this crisis, you're got all, you've got all this time to do all these things that you shouldn't do. And it's just so empty. And in grace, God is using that emptiness right now to take that thing out of you. To me, that's awesome. He takes full responsibility for the ones that he calls. So I thought about this. I thought about this and I, and I have a prayer for us. And I want you to take your go-to indulgence. I want you to name it. And then I want you to fill in the blanks in this prayer. It's right there. I'm going to read it. Write it down if you want as I say it. But God, I realize that I'm addicted or attached to blank. What is it? I have also realized that blank is not going to satisfy me. Teach me to love you more than I love blank. I want to change. I need you to create in me a clean heart. What a powerful prayer to say, I'm done with that. I am done with that thing. All right, so that brings me to point three. And if you listen closely, you can hear in the background, there's cars, there's a road right over there and I'm close to being out of the wilderness. And it's kind of a symbol because, you know, the wilderness ends. And it brings me to point number three, which is that in the wilderness, God's purposes are made clear to us. That's, that's what happens in the wilderness. We, we find out, oh, this is what God wants me to be. Some of you have got to arm yourself with this mentality right now. I am coming out of this situation better than I was going in. And I'm going to be well equipped, well able for the next stage of my life, for the next stage of this world, for the next stage of what is going to happen here in my family, in my job, in my relationships. Maybe you're going to appreciate that relationship much more than you did before. Maybe you're going to appreciate that job. Maybe you're not going to complain about 
the job. Maybe you're going to just love people because you've been away from them for so long. Maybe you're going to love the things that you were getting tired of in a fresh new way so that you can be the salt of the earth, the light of the world that Jesus calls you to be. So Exodus 19, verse 5, it says this, Now, therefore, if you will obey my covenant, you shall be, you see, you shall be, that's an identity term, you shall be my treasured possession among all the nations. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be, again, identity, 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 you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. I love that. You shall be, you shall be. Wilderness, transformation, becoming identity. Our world wants to talk about identity without ever changing. In fact, we want to say our identity is unchangeable. That's ridiculous. I mean, are you still the same person that you were 20 years ago? I mean, metaphysically, yes, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, Intelligence-wise, I hope not. Transformation is a part of living. It's what makes life exciting. God's saying to Israel, let's do this together. Let me shape you into who you are. Don't just assume that you're, you're in this unchangeable reality about yourself. Let me do a work in you. Let me transform you. And you shall be my possession. You shall be my people. And then there's a key verse there, key, key word. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? A priest is somebody who mediates between God and man. Somebody who ministers to man on behalf of God. What a privilege to be God's priests. But you can never be God's priest until you know God's ways and become like God. And that is why Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In other words, I've called you and I've appointed you to be fruitful. He calls to you and then he speaks and he transforms you and the transformation produces a more fruitful version of you so that when people see you, they see Christ, they see God in you. But it's not gonna happen until God gets that worldliness out of you, those pleasures that are inordinate, those idols in you. He breaks them off of you and he makes himself your highest desire and pleasure. So I just wanted to close out with this last line. The Lord doesn't want to take the church out of the world. He wants to take the world out of the church so that the church can change the world. Isn't that cool? That's what Exodus 19 is about. That's what the wilderness is about. It's about God getting you alone with himself, like I'm alone out here, so that I can hear him so that he can speak to me about things that he thinks, Tim, this needs to come out of you. That needs to go. This needs to come in. I want this to be a part of who you are. And I, I get the world out of me and then I'm sent into the world so that I can bring change, God's change. You hear that?
someone's revving an engine over there. It sounds like a ATV. Because when we're on the verge of getting out of the wilderness, we should see civilization again. We should hear it again and be ready this time to be a blessing and to be a, a minister. My prayer for you is that you don't waste this wilderness. Let's learn. Let's, let's long for God to speak and let's let him have his way with us. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Tim, for that. I was texting him during the message. I said, uh, all the crunching sound of him walking through the woods got me jonesing for a big bowl of Captain Crunch cereal. <laughs> but I appreciate him marching through the wilderness to bring that message to us and encourage. I hope it's encouraging some of you guys as we're going through all of this. Uh, tonight is our last Wednesday, first Wednesday service until the fall. As is our tradition, we knock off for the summer because there's so few nice days in Wisconsin. <laughs> we want to take advantage of them all. And they're theoretically coming uh, over the next three months and enjoy them and enjoy it with the family. Uh, and then we'll pick up again first Wednesdays starting this fall. In the meanwhile, God bless all of you guys. Thanks for watching and we'll see you all Sunday morning. Bye-bye. <laughs>